Chapter Thirty of Certain Personal Matters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Certain Personal Matters by H. G. Wells. Concerning Chess. The passion for playing chess is one of the most unaccountable in the world. It slaps the theory of natural selection in the face. It is the most absorbing of occupations, the least satisfying of desires, an aimless excrescence upon life. It annihilates a man. You have, let us say, a promising politician, a rising artist that you wish to destroy. Dagger or bomb or archaic, clumsy and unreliable. But teach him, inoculate him with chess. It is well, perhaps, that the right way of teaching chess is so little known that consequently in most cases the plot fails in the performance the dagger turns aside else we should all be chess players there would be none left to do the business of the world our statesmen would sit with pocket boards while the country went to the devil our army would bury itself in checkered contemplation our breadwinners would forget their wives in seeking after impossible mates the whole world would be disorganized I can fancy this abominable hypnotism so wrought into the constitution of men that the cabmen would go trying to drive their horses in nights moving up and down charing cross road and now and again a suicide would come to hand with the pathetic inscription pinned to his chest i checked with my queen too soon i cannot bear the thought of it there is no remorse like the remorse of chess only happily as we say chess is taught the wrong way round people put out the board before the learner with all the men in battle array sixteen aside with six different kinds of moves and the poor wretch is simply crushed and appalled a lot of things happen most disagreeable and then a mate comes looming up through the haze of pieces so he goes away awe-stricken but unharmed secretly believing that all chess players are humbugs and that intelligent chess which is neither chancy nor rote learned is beyond the wit of man but clearly this is an unreasonable method of instruction before the beginner can understand the beginning of the game he must surely understand the end how can he commence playing until he knows what he is playing for it is like starting athletes on a race and leaving them to find out where the winning post is hidden your true teacher of chess your subtle chess poisoner your cunning comus who changes men to chess players begins quite the other way round he will let us say give you king queen and pawn placed out in careless possible positions so you must master the militant possibilities of queen and pawn without perplexing complications the king queen and bishop perhaps king queen and knight and so on it ensures that you always play a winning game in these happy days of your chess childhood and taste the one sweet of chess playing the delight of having the upper hand of a better player then to more complicated positions and at last back to the formal beginning you begin now to see to what end the array is made and understand why one gambit differeth from another in glory and virtue and the chess mania of your teacher cleaveth to you thenceforth and forevermore it is a curse upon man there is no happiness in chess 
Mr. St. George Mithert, who can find happiness in the strangest places, would be at a loss to demonstrate it upon the chessboard. The mild delight of a pretty mate is the least unhappy phase of it. But generally, you find afterwards that you ought to have mated two moves before, or at the time that an unforeseen reply takes your queen. No chess player sleeps well. After the painful strategy of the day, one fights one's battles over again. You see with more than daylight clearness that it was the rook you should have moved, and not the knight. No, it is impossible. No common sinner, innocent of chess, knows these lower deeps of remorse. Vast desert boards lie for the chess player beyond the gates of horn. Stalwart rooks ram headlong at one. Knights hop sidelong. One's pawns are all tied, and a mate hangs threatening and never descends. And once chess has been begun in the proper way, it is flesh of your flesh, bone of your bone. You are sold, and the bargain is sealed, and the evil spirit hath entered in. The proper outlet for the craving of the playing of games, and there is a class of men, shadowy, unhappy, unreal-looking men, who gather in coffee-houses and play with a desire that dieth not, and a fire that is not quenched. These gather in clubs and play tournaments, such tournaments as he of the round table could never have imagined. But there are others who have the vice who live in country places, in remote situations, curates, schoolmasters, rate-collectors, who go consumed from day to day and meet no fit companion, and who must needs find some artificial vent for their mental energy. No one has ever calculated how many sound problems are possible, and no doubt the psychical research people would be glad if Professor Carl Pearson would give his mind to the matter. All the possible dispositions of the pieces come to such a vast number, however, that according to the theory of probability, and allowing a few thousand arrangements each day, the same problem ought never to turn up more than twice in a century or so. As a matter of fact, it is probably due to some flaw in the theory of probability. The same problem has a way of turning up in different publications several times in a month or so. It may be, of course, that after all, quite sound problems are limited in number, and that we keep on inventing and reinventing them, that if a record were kept, the whole system up to four or five moves might be classified and placed on record in the course of a few score years. Indeed, if we were to eliminate those with conspicuously bad moves, it may be we should find the number of reasonable games was limited enough, and that even our brilliant Lasker is but repeating the inspirations of some long-buried Persian, some mute inglorious Hindu, dead and forgotten ages since. It may be over every game there are watches, the forgotten forerunners of the players, and that chess is indeed a dead game a haunted game, played out centuries ago, as beyond all evil is the game of draughts. The artistic temperament, the gay, irresponsible cast of mind, does what it can to lighten the gravity of this too intellectual game. To a mortal there is something indescribably horrible in these champions with their four moves an hour. The bare thought of the mental operations of the fifteen minutes given on a touch of headache. Compulsory quick-moving is the thing for gaiety, and that is why, though we revere Steinitz and Lasker, it is Bird we love. 
his victories glitter his errors are magnificent the true sweetness of chess if it ever can be sweet is to see victory snatched by some happy impertinence out of the shadow of apparently irrevocable disaster and talking of cheerfulness reminds me of lawson's historical game of chess lawson said he had been cheerful sometimes but drunk perish the thought challenged he would have proved it by some petty tests of pronunciation some good templar's shibboleths he offered to walk along the curb to work any problem in mathematics we could devise finally to pay mcbride at chess the other gentleman was appointed judge and after putting the antimacassar over his head just whiggish immediately went to sleep in a disorderly heap on the sofa the game was begun very solemnly so i am told mcbride in describing it to me afterward swayed his hands about with the fingers twiddling in a weird kind of way and said the board went like that the game was fierce but brief it was presently discovered that both kings had been taken lawson was hard to convince but this came home to him man he is reported to have said to mcbride i'm just drunk there's no doubt in the matter i'm feeling very ashamed of myself it was accordingly decided to declare the game drawn the position as i found it next morning is an interesting one lawson's queen was at king's knight six his bishop at queen's bishop three he had several pawns and his knight occupied a commanding position in the intersection of four squares mcbride had four pawns two rooks a queen a draught and a small mantle ornament arranged in a rough semicircle athwart the board i have no doubt chess exquisites will sneer at this position but in my opinion it is one of the cheerfulest i have ever seen i remember i admired it very much at the time in spite of a slight headache and it is still the only game of chess that i recall with undiluted pleasure and yet i have played many games End of chapter 30